Thank you, Jamie and Danny, for reading our passage. Do we just decide to have faith, or does God somehow reach out to us? Do we determine what is true for us, or is there a God who might reveal truth to us? What would happen to you if God interrupted your life, the way COVID-19 has altered your life in 2020? My friend Neil had an interesting conversation a few weeks ago. He grew up in North Vancouver with his parents and sister. Neil's father, Bruce, often told his children that he really loved them because he had grown up in a home where love had not been expressed. Bruce was a a Vancouver fireman by profession. When Neil was very young, his father was called to a fire in Chinatown. Going into the fire with full line, Bruce discovered propane tanks engulfed in flames. His task was to faithfully apply water to those tanks to avoid a greater disaster. After the fire, however, he discovered that carcinogenic fumes from the tanks had compromised his health. When Neil was nine, his father discovered he had cancer. At the time, a pastor by the name of Carson was serving at First Baptist Church as a community liaison. He was encouraged to talk to Bruce. Although Bruce was really rough around the edges, Carson was drawn to him. Bruce was on the path to recovery. And then, when Neil was 11, the cancer returned and his father passed away. Neil became more withdrawn. Concerned, his mother sent him to camp on Keats Island. Certainly a a summer at camp would not hurt him. At the camp, for the first time, Neil heard the story of Jesus, heard about the love of his father in heaven. He sensed God speaking to him. He decided to put his trust in God. He began to follow the way of Jesus. Although support from home was absent in relation to his newfound faith, Neil continued to follow and went to camp year after year. The faith of a a young boy who had lost his father to cancer, his life interrupted. He would often ask questions about his father. I'll come back to his story in a few minutes. Why do people believe? What does it even mean to have faith? Let's begin with the faith journey of those who lived the first Christmas. When the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, the mother of Jesus, she doesn't say, oh, this is just amazing. This has to be the most awesome day of my life. Rather, we read in Luke Chapter 1, verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tries to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The words greatly troubled mean very confused, deeply perplexed, and utterly confounded. The words tried to discern are accounting words. The phrase means to to take an audit. She's adding things up, weighing and pondering. She's reasoning thoroughly. Am I really seeing an angel? Is this experience for real? How can this be? When the angel announces that she, a virgin, will have a child, a son, and he should be called Jesus, she doesn't say, okay, this makes total sense. 
Rather, we read in Luke chapter 1, verse 34, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? It was a polite way of saying, What? This is insane. Not even within the realm of possibility. Faith requires thinking through experience. Faith requires thinking through experience. When the shepherds withdraw from the manger scene in Bethlehem nine months later, they leave Mary, the mother of Jesus, pondering. We read in Luke chapter 2, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The word ponder means to uh, think deeply, to debate things, to carefully put things together. So Mary reviews the events of her life. The Spirit of God came over her. She conceived. While the baby grew within her womb, a census was called by Caesar Augustus. He was still dictating from Rome. For her, his decrees meant that in the later stages of her pregnancy, she had to travel 140 kilometers to her ancestral home, only to find her village overwhelmed by travelers. On a dark night, after a long, arduous journey, her son was born, born on a night when there was no room for her or her son. No one was there to welcome them. And then some awestruck shepherds appeared. Angels had sung to them. What did this all mean? In some religious circles, questioning and processing, doubting, is thought to be bad. When I was 13 years old, I attended church with my family. I remember being in a Bible class. My peers and I had questions about God, many questions about God, the Bible, and truth. We were trying to find reason for faith. On one occasion, frustrated by my questions, my Bible teacher exclaimed, Ray, quit asking questions! Just believe! That was the end of my participation in his Bible classes. I decided that if I had to turn off my mind to be a Christian, I would not be able to be a follower of Jesus. And so began my exit from anything to do with church. Seven years later, in a very different context, as I chatted with my university professor about the content of his intellectual history class, he looked at me and said, Ray, your mind is a gift. It was the first time that someone had said to me that thinking was a gift, not a curse. The scriptures teach us, and have mercy on those who doubt, Jude verse 22. Jesus does not view doubts and questions as inherently rebellious and wrong, nor does he encourage us to live in perpetual doubt. He invites us to, to come and see. He invites us to discover and to experience Mary, the mother of Jesus, asked questions, just as we must today if we are truly going to have faith. In fact, you cannot have faith without thinking through experience. In this way, Mary models faith for us. She listened to what God was saying to her and wrestled with it. She truly heard. In my married life, Judy, my wife, will often share something with me, and then she'll notice that I'm not fully present. So she'll ask, are you listening to me? The right answer to that question is always yes. And then she'll follow up with another question. So what did I say? 
I'll look at her intently and slowly draw on my memory to repeat what she has said, sometimes word for word. But then comes her brutal assessment. You listened to the words, but you didn't really hear what I was saying. In other words, I was not really present. I did not pay proper attention. I can recite the words, but those words did not sink in. I didn't value them, feel them, process them. I did not consider what they truly meant to her and to me. When God speaks, if we truly listen, everything can change. Everything can change. Faith comes by hearing. This is what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. In our society, this is often hard for us because we, we have a culture-wide attention deficit disorder. So much information, so many messages, so many images, everything on the surface, nothing sinks in. Even in the first century, Jesus' disciples struggled with hearing. When Jesus was warning them of his impending death, he said to them very directly, let these words sink into your ears. They were listening, but they weren't really listening. What does Luke 2 verse 19 say about Mary after that midnight visit from the shepherds? But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She treasured what she heard from the shepherds. The word means that she she savored, she relished, preserved, protected those words. She let those God words sink into her heart. She allowed them to affect her deeply. You see, hearing opens the way to relationship with God, to acting on the revelation received. Having received an explanation from the angel that the Holy Spirit would come upon her, Mary responded with humble submission. Luke chapter 1, verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I'm, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She's not saying, Okay, now I see everything clearly. Everything makes total sense. No, she's saying, It doesn't make total sense, but I will surrender and trust the word spoken despite my fears and reservations. I believe God is speaking to me. So right now, I choose to obey and follow. Let's move forward. You see, faith demands surrender. To move forward, faith demands surrender. When you exercise this kind of faith, you accept the word of God in light of what you have come to know and experience. You don't know everything, but you know something. Sometimes we think that people in the first century were not only superstitious, but also ready to give themselves to anything, just believe anything. We in the 21st century are so much more sophisticated, we think. We have so many reasons not to not surrender to God. I would suggest that Mary the mother of Jesus, had more reasons not to surrender. First, as a Jewish woman, she had been taught that God could never become a human being. Second, if she had a child as a virgin, even if Joseph decided to marry her, she would come under shame in her village. 
People would make the calculation. Oh, married on that date, son born on that date. Wait a minute. In her small traditional town of Nazareth, she knew she would always be known as the mother of a child considered by them to be illegitimate. Everyone would think she either had sex with Joseph before marriage or she had been unfaithful to Joseph. In fact, this is exactly what the religious leader said to Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 41. We were not born of sexual immorality like you. Sometimes the story of Jesus is very raw. If we have never pondered the gospel and said, this sounds like fiction, quite impossible, maybe absurd, Jesus born to a virgin, Jesus accused of being an illegitimate child, If we've never pondered that, then we have probably never understood the magnitude and glory of God becoming a human being through the womb of a young Jewish woman by the Holy Spirit. The words of the angel changed everything for Mary. She was no more than 15, a young Jewish girl near the bottom of the social ladder. And if she said yes to the angel, she may very well go even lower, become a social outcast, relegated to the margins of society for the rest of her days. Yet Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. Pastor author Tim Keller, he refers to two critical questions we must consider if we are thinking of surrendering our will to God's will. First, are you willing to obey anything the Bible clearly says to do, whether you like it or not? Second, are you willing to trust God in anything he sends into your life, whether you understand it or not? He says if you can't say yes to these two questions, you have probably never said to God, I am your servant. Are you willing to obey anything God tells you to do? And will you trust God no matter what happens? Mary did not surrender to God as her assistant, She submitted to him as Lord. She did not surrender to God as her life coach. She surrendered to her ruler. Anyone who wants to be a follower of Jesus must essentially do the same thing as Mary. Being a disciple of Jesus is not a self-help program, especially tailored for you to help you realize all of your potential. Following Jesus is not a negotiation with God. God, if you do this for me, then I will attend church fairly regularly and uh, tithe more often than not, especially if you are blessing me with physical and financial health. No, that's not what it is. It is complete surrender of your will to God's. In our world that puts such value on personal freedom, the call of Jesus The call to faith in Jesus, it rings counter-cultural. When we hear the call to surrender our will to God's, to surrender everything to Him, it feels like death, and it is. It is death to self so that we might truly live. As we throw ourselves into the arms of God and surrender our lives to Him, we are gifted with meaning, satisfaction, true identity, hope. We become resilient, grounded, joy-filled, wise. Hear the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 26. 
Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Mary chose to lose her life for God's sake. Months later, when she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who is uh, pregnant with John the Baptist, it starts to come together for her. Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, confirms the angel's words to Mary. Listen to Elizabeth's words in Luke chapter 1, verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary breaks into song. She uh, moves beyond reasoning and surrender to, to joy. Verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. For Mary, her faith now moves from her head to her heart. It infuses her whole being. God saw her, spoke to her, favored her, gifted her, blessed her, wrote her into his story. Mary is amazed that God has done great things for her. For her. Faith generates amazement. If we are Christ followers, we should be amazed. Amazed that God in his matchless grace has chosen to unveil himself to us, drawn us to himself, loved us unconditionally, saved us from our sin, filled us with his Holy Spirit, and gifted us with life eternal. Sometimes we are not amazed because we think about faith wrongly. You see, being a follower of Jesus is not at its essence about going to a local church gathering, signing your name at the bottom of a statement of faith, and tithing regularly. If that is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, we will not be filled with awe, because our faith will be something done by us. It will be based on our religious activity. We'll be doing religious things to ensure God's blessing and secure the good life. That, my friend, is manipulating God, not trusting Him. That is being our own gods. That is being religious. But there is a completely different way of thinking about our faith. If being a follower of Jesus is something done for us, by God himself, a miraculous work of grace, there will be no end to our astonishment and wonder. We are only followers of Jesus because he first loved us. Who are we that God should choose us? Who are we that God should love us while we were rebellious and sinful and skeptical and angry? If someone asks me, are you a Christian? My response must be, yes, isn't it amazing? Me of all people? That doubt-filled, skeptical 13-year-old who left church and threw himself into adolescent rebellion, spurning God church, family, everything. That guy was loved by God and drawn by grace. I should not be his child, but here I am. He did it. 
Ultimately, none of us are followers of Jesus because of our goodness. We always depend on God to draw us, deal with us, illumine us, answer us, convince us, open our hearts and minds to his reality, to his presence, to his power and love. God enables us to see and to trust and to surrender. It all depends on God's goodness and grace. The angel Gabriel says to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Luke 1 verse 30. The angel says to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Luke 2 verse 10. When we receive God's word to us in Jesus... The fear that inhabits those deep places of our souls is dispelled. Faith drives out fear. It drives out fear. We fear because we feel distant from God. We fear the implications of COVID-19 because we realize we are not in control. We fear the end of relationships because we know we will, sooner or later, disappoint people. We fear the future because we know we are at the mercy of forces We can neither manage nor predict. We fear because we are trying to save ourselves from illness, earn our sense of self-worth, construct our identity before others. And all these things are so fragile and tenuous. Tim Keller writes, We fear rejection and failure. But if you were completely filled with God's love, you would not care what people thought. We fear the future and circumstances. But if you knew God perfectly, that he is good and in control, you would trust him. And you wouldn't be afraid of death because you would know you would be with him forever. The command God repeats most often in scripture is fear not, fear not. Why not? Because he pursued us. He wrote himself into our human story. He loved us so much, he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus loved us so much, he gave his life for us. To the degree we ponder this, treasure it, absorb it, grasp it, to that degree we will no longer fear. Remember my friend, Neil? His story continues. Neil is now a young married man with two children. More than anything, He wants his children to grow up in a home where they know they are loved by him and their father in heaven. In conversation with his father-in-law a few weeks ago, Neil asked whether the name Carson meant anything to him. Neil's father-in-law remembered a Carson connected to Trinity Western University. So through a friend, he received Carson's contact information. Carson, Does the name Bruce Holland mean anything to you? Neil's father-in-law asked. Immediately, Carson remembered the name. Yes, Bruce was a fireman when I was serving as community liaison to the firefighters in Vancouver. Why? Bruce's son, Neil, is now my son-in-law. He knows very little about his father. What can you tell me about him? Carson pondered. Bruce was a tough man. He swore a lot. But we developed a a strong friendship. We had good conversations about faith. When he was diagnosed with cancer, those conversations went longer and deeper. 
During his last month in the hospital, I went to be with him every day. Neil's father-in-law asked, Would it be good for my son-in-law to learn more about his father? Yes, for sure, Carson replied. Neil had many questions about his father. Among his questions was this one. Carson, did, did my father ever come to faith? Carson replied, Neil, don't try to categorize your father. He was on a a faith journey. I read Bible passages to him, prayed with him. As he looked death in the eye, he opened his heart to God. We often read Psalm 23. He was comforted by God being his shepherd. On one occasion, I remember asking him, Bruce, do you believe in the God of this psalm? And he said, yes. The faith of a man facing death, embracing the love of his good shepherd. I imagine entrusting his son, Neil, into his good hands. Faith drives out fear. John, a disciple of Jesus, understood what this meant. He wrote, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. 1 John 4.18 We need to ask ourselves, what would happen to me if I actually took God's love seriously? How would my life be different if I truly trusted in God's love for me? How would my thinking, my values, my relationships be altered? How would it change my conversation with God? You see, faith enables us to go deeper. It enables us to go deeper. What do I mean? When Jesus' parents carried him to the temple in Jerusalem to be circumcised on his eighth day, some elderly people were waiting, an old man named Simeon and an old woman named Anna. They had been waiting for their Savior. God had revealed to Simeon that he would not die before seeing God's anointed one. Simeon, he lived Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the the conviction of things not seen. When Joseph and Mary came into the temple courtyard that day with the infant Jesus, Simeon took Jesus into his arms and said this, Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people, Israel. Simeon thanked and praised God. He had lived just long enough to see his Savior. Anna was also in the temple. She was 84 years age. After just seven years of marriage, she had lost her husband. Most of her adult life, she lived as a widow. Sometimes our loss drives us deeper. Loss drove Bruce deeper. Loss drove Neil deeper. Anna prayed, fasted day and night. When Simeon started to prophesy on that day when Jesus was brought into the temple, she broke into thanksgiving. She told everyone what was happening. The Spirit had revealed to her that the newborn brought into the temple was the Savior she had been waiting for. People who put their faith in God, who are in touch with God's heart, 
often wait expectantly for the fulfillment of God's promises. They live with anticipation. They live with anticipation. Their eyes are on the future reality that God has promised. They're no longer consumed with the things of the moment, of this life, but look to a greater reality, God's reality. They go deeper. Mary, she pondered these encounters with Simeon and Anna as she observed her son, watched him grow into adult life, heard him speak, saw miracles happen. She would slowly process what was happening. At times, she really struggled. In Mark chapter 3, she goes with Jesus' brothers and sisters to fetch Jesus. The family believes Jesus is out of his mind. That's what the Bible says. Insane, behaving irresponsibly, downright mad. She wants to stop him. That was a big mistake. She didn't get it right that day. Later, she saw him crucified on a hill outside Jerusalem and then buried in a cave. She did not expect to stand at the foot of his cross to witness his gruesome death. She did not expect to experience the pain of outliving her child. I'm sure she she remembered Simeon's words as he held the infant Jesus in his arms that day in the temple. And these are the words, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What does Jesus reveal about my heart, your heart today? When Jesus rose from the dead, his mother was among the first to meet him. She was present at the cross present at the tomb, present for his resurrection, engaged, watching, now full of faith. Where do we stand today? If we do not exercise faith, think, hear, surrender, sit in amazement, let go of our fears and go deeper, we will miss what God is doing in our day. We will miss what he is saying to us today. And we will certainly not be ready for what will happen in the days to come. What is the step of faith God is inviting you to take today? Jesus invites you to know him. Jesus invites you into his love. He went to the cross and died in your place, took your sin upon himself so that God in his holiness might forgive you and receive you as his child. When you are united with God, you come alive. My friend, just as Jesus invited Neil and Bruce, he beckons you to turn from a life separated from him and to turn to your Father in heaven, to receive forgiveness of sin, to enter into an intimate relationship with him, to become a child of God, to become family. He loves you. Your walk with Jesus begins with a humble asking. Father, receive me. Jesus, save me. Holy Spirit, enter my life. If this is your desire, then pray this prayer with me. Father, I confess that I really need you. In this time of isolation and distancing, I feel separate from you. But I want relationship with you. Thank you for sending Jesus out of love for me before I even gave you a thought. 
I confess I really walk quite independently of you. Sometimes consciously, at other times unconsciously, I reject your love. I've been trying to make life work by myself. Jesus, thank you for identifying with me in my struggle. Thank you for going to the cross and taking my sinfulness, rebellion, selfishness, and self-centeredness upon yourself. Jesus, I repent. I, I turn away from my independent ways and I turn to you for forgiveness. I acknowledge my need to change my way of thinking, my way of life. I need help today. Thank you for opening the way to relationship with you. I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior and leader. I receive the Holy Spirit. I am so excited to join your family. Restore me. Strengthen me. Lead me forward from this day on. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I would encourage you to connect with a friend that follows Jesus. Or you can... um, Click that uh, I commit myself to Jesus button on your screen and we will connect with you. We would love to encourage you on your journey with Jesus. I pray God's blessing on you and all who are watching today. I'm going to post a few questions for your reflection just as you ponder what God has said to you through today's message.